Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by the East Baton Rouge Parish School System, inspiring humanity through transformational learning in the classroom and community. Initiatives like Pathways to Bright Futures allow students to graduate high school with an associate degree or an industry-based credential, along with their high school diploma. More information at ebrschools.org. From Mansur's on the Boulevard, we're out to lunch with Stephanie Regal. It's business, Baton Rouge style. Hi, I'm Stephanie Regal. Welcome to Out to Lunch. Real estate is something that touches just about all our lives. Even if we don't own our own home, we have to live somewhere, which means the economic forces that are impacting buyers, sellers, and investors are impacting all of us. COVID was a major disruptor of all segments of the real estate market, and the post-COVID era is no less unprecedented, which makes every day at the office an interesting one for those who work in the real estate field. With me today to discuss this is Dave Lackfold, a commercial real estate appraiser and owner of the Lackfold Group, which has been appraising apartment complexes, office buildings, warehouses, and retail centers in the Baton Rouge area since Dave started the company in 1995. That was around the same time he married his wife, Angie Lackbolt, also an appraiser, who at the time was working for First Commerce Corp, a bank holding company. Four years later, Angie left the bank and joined Dave, and they've been working together ever since, with Dave focusing on commercial bank and litigation appraisals, and Angie focusing on infrastructure and litigation appraisals. Over the years, their clients have included some of the area's highest profile businesses and investors. Dave, it is so great to see you. Thanks so much for being here on Out to Lunch. Well, thank you for inviting me. And we did a whole story one time about couples that work together. So we, we'll have you back <laughs> when we revisit that topic because that's a whole different dimension. With me and Dave at the table is Andy St. Romain, a partner in the Baton Rouge office of Jones Walker, who also specializes in real estate. Jones Walker is a sponsor of Out to Lunch, so we thought we'd take advantage of that relationship and invite Andy to join us to talk about real estate with Dave. Andy has been with Jones Walker since 2004. In the years since, he has advised clients on a full range of residential, commercial, and industrial real estate issues, representing developers and lenders both. He is also a CPA and an adjunct professor at the Southern University Law Center. Andy, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you. Glad to and be here. And y'all know each other, so that's... We do. We do. Baton Rouge is a small city. Dave, how does one stumble into becoming an appraiser? I mean, was that the kind of thing that you wanted to do as a young professional when you were getting into the business, or does it just sort of evolve over time? Well, the opportunity has to show up at your doorstep. Um, it, it, it was happenstance for me. I was um, fresh out of the military at LSU, um, attending undergraduate school, and I needed another part-time job to pay tuition. There was an ad in the Reveille that said, uh, um, office help needed for a real estate company. I applied. I was one of 100 or so that applied. I got the job and it was for some um, residential appraisers and that's where my appraising career started in 1983, June of 1983. And so. what an interesting time to be doing it in Louisiana because property values were plummeting at that point. We were sort of in the doldrums, huh? that's, or almost. We were about to hit it really bad because that's when um, the 
the oil crash that almost killed Lafayette happened. Um, and that was that started in like 1986. Um, there was a tax reform act in 1985 that started the, the decline mm -hmm. of, of multifamily, um, especially in Baton Rouge area, the Gardier area. Sure. Um, and then you had uh, um, a lot of people who had purchased properties for the tax benefit that no longer existed, so you had people dumping it, and so that's when the stress started. Then the oil crash happened, and that was a double whammy to a lot of real estate investors in this so market. So you must have had a baptism by fire, sort of. Yes, and then the, the, the crash that happened in 2007, so I've been in a couple crashes um, on the up to the peak and down to the valleys, so. Interesting. Well, Andy, I know probably um, not a lot of kids dream about becoming a lawyer, but if they do, they certainly don't dream about doing uh, commercial property <laughs> deals and negotiations. How did you come to this section of law? So, no, you're right. I think most people, when they see law school or they, they hear about an attorney, they think of a courtroom. I, um, I never wanted to do that, and I was fortunate enough to... Uh, right out of law school, be hired by Jones Walker. I clerked for them during law school. And I always, from the time that I started clerking, enjoyed, um, well, before that, I enjoyed doing business work. And then going to Jones Walker, I saw the opportunity to do business work, and in particular, to do real estate work. And what really appealed to me about it was, it's tangible, and it's got a beginning and an end. And if you do it correctly, you have people who, one wants to buy, one wants to sell, and when it's all over, someone gets a property they want and the other person gets paid for it. And I just always like that. Um, I, I like to see the results of what we do. And again, I, I like the business part of it. So uh, I think it's been a good match. I think it's fascinating. And in this market and in South Louisiana, I mean, I guess everywhere, but, but since we've lost so many other sectors of our economy, really, mm -hmm. to bigger places, real estate is a big deal. And real estate development is a big deal. Yes. It really is. Do you, you represent developers over the years? <clears throat> I have, and, and the firm has. Um, we've represented developers. Um, you know, heavy industrial is something that normally it's, it's the bigger companies that come in, but certainly for retail, uh, some national companies coming in to develop property. Uh, and then, of course, some of the bigger residential developers will do, will do some deals here, of course. Um, but the majority of what we've done, especially lately, is more industrial and, and then some, some retail. Um, but you, can, you sort of follow whatever the client needs at the time. Some clients are real busy, as, as Dave would know too. You, you have a client who has a lot to do and then they sort of taper off and then here comes the next one or as the markets change, so does the type of development you're doing. And so would you bring a deal to Dave and say, all right, Dave, we need you to appraise this property for my client who's the seller? Uh, Maybe. Well, I don't know. It, it really depends. If it's a finance deal um, where we're worried about a loan to value, that, I think that would come in. Uh, in terms of due diligence, the type of diligence that I'm going to be doing is not necessarily based on, on that part of it. That would be more of a business term that I think the client is probably getting done on their own. Mm -hmm. Although some of them will ask, you know, what do you know appraisers in this area? Can you help me to find someone who can give us an idea of what it's worth? Are there other comparables out there? Yeah. Um, so. Uh, it, there's all, most of the time there is an appraisal involved, but it's, it's more so when it's a finance deal. And when you're doing an appraisal, Dave, um, 
I mean, I, I've heard stories about about sellers that are really kind of pressure, you know, an appraiser to want to get the numbers as high as possible. Maybe buyers want the numbers to be as low as possible. Have you experienced that? Have oh, you? yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it's a meat grinder at times. Um, that's, and that tends to be more the bank work that uh, where lenders, they, they, they want to make a loan. And that's something that, um, uh, fortunately, I have a reputation of, I don't care what you, you want, you're going to get the value that the market says. And that's the issue is, you know, you want to see what, you know, the market's doing and the value they place on things. And that's um, the the bifurcation of the, that term market value. So you, you got to look at that. And that's what, uh, what, what I, what I try to do is see how the people, how the, the participants are, are acting and that, and that determines value. And mm -hmm. so, um, and, uh, that's um, there's people who want a desired outcome, but sometimes the truth is what they need more than the desired outcome. And they respect you for being exactly for being unbiased, right? Um, Andy, what what do you see right now in the market in the in this post-COVID era? Um, Y'all certainly have a big presence downtown in an office building. I know a lot of law firms. People have been coming back, but. A lot of other businesses, they're really not. Um, where do you see the office market headed right now? I think the office market in Baton Rouge, or at least my understanding of it, would be it's, it's similar to what you're hearing in the news, that there are a lot of uh, vacancies, there are a lot of hybrid working, and um, I, I, th I think a lot of people got very comfortable working at home, and I think a lot of employers were able to be supportive of, of their employees working from home. And I think so long as an employee can get things done effectively from home, I think there's going to be a part of that in the future. I think technology allows that to happen. But I think we also miss a lot of you know the collegiality that comes with people working together, the synergy. Uh, from a law firm's perspective, uh, the, the newer associates need the opportunity to work with some more senior people. And some of thing, the things that, for instance, that I would do I like to have, uh, you know, whether it's it's clerical or paralegal or other attorneys to work with. So there are some days where maybe you could work from home, but there are a lot of times where you really need to be in the office. So getting back to the point of your question, I, I think there's not as high demand. What I'm seeing and hearing is there's like a flight to quality where um, maybe the demand is lower, so the prices are coming down. So it gives opportunities to people to move into maybe a better or more desirable location. But I also see, and I've seen firsthand, a couple of offices now where there are large areas and people can come and go as they want, maybe have a temporary location. I've even heard of one example where people show up, reserve an office for a day, and then go home, and when they want to come back, they can have an office, but it may not be the same one they were in before. Interesting. So yeah. it's, it's a new Sort of market. that hybrid thing, yeah. right? Which yeah. kind of makes sense because yeah. it's flexibility, a little bit of everything. What do you, um, are investors interested in buying and selling office buildings? Well, it, it, for investors, it always boils down to the return. What are they going to get? And and the value-added investors are the best ones that because there's some been some things that I see that um, uh, there's a old office on. Is, 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 if I get too local, is that okay? Or would, that's okay. okay. We're so in Baton Rouge, okay, so good. that's good. So there's a an investor. I'm not going to name people. I'll name brokers, but um, when it's appropriate. But there's a. a a, a large office building on on North Boulevard that was converted to apartments, and uh, this thing was a shell 
and in horrible condition. And this investor bought it, converted it to uh, efficiency apartments, and now he, he sets the, the high market end for rents because he'd, he'd done such a good job. And so it's, it's, that's where I see the market changing because everyone gets to this point where it's the status quo and there's nothing, there's no added value in what they're doing. And what uh, Andy had just mentioned about these ability to come and go in mm -hmm. these renting small offices, that's, there's a lot more businesses that are like that than there are these corporate things that need 50,000 square feet. Um, so from an investor point of view, um, you know, the cash flow is more certain with the 50,000 square foot tenant, but you also die if that 50,000 square foot tenant leaves in your 300,000 square foot building. And so, um, and that's, that's where, I, where I see is the folks that can do value add, they see a, a building that's in horrible condition and then fix it up and meet market needs or, and fill that void, you know, or, and do a good job of, of the renovations. That's what really drives, um, I think, a, a good segment of the really smart investors. Mm -hmm. So, One of the things that we've talked about a lot over the years, you know, is e-commerce and and with the changing buying patterns and the Amazon effect, of course, but people say brick and mortar retail isn't dead. What are y'all seeing in this area, at least, in the retail and, and shopping center end? Are, are those properties doing well? Are people interested in buying and selling them? Well, one sale that happened recently was the old Sears at uh, Mall, Mall, Louisiana. It was acquired by a medical group and they're converting it to a medical office. And that sort of uh, goes with what um, the, the lake has done, the general has done, and uh, what's the other Oxner one? Oshner, too. too. Yeah. And so you have that going on in that corridor. So that that is a good conversion, but there's some retail that's suffering because they haven't adapted to that e-commerce uh, function. And I think once they can figure out how to sort of compete with Amazon, be a physical presence with um, um, uh uh, an e-commerce structure too. I think those are the ones who are going to win, who can can sort of merge those two concepts together. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with what Dave is saying. <clears throat> I was looking at something uh, recently about from a national um, publication, and I think the statistic right now is maybe 16% of commerce is online. Um, it's up to 16 now. I mean, it was 10 just like a few years ago. Yeah, right? and I think it's going to trend like 1% increase for the next you know, few years. But you hear e-commerce and it sounds like it's so much more than that. Um, I don't think retail is ever gonna go away. I don't think brick and mortar necessarily will either. I think the emphasis may sort of change a little bit. But you know, one thing I've heard, and I really believe this, that when you have whatever it is you're selling from an e-commerce platform, to have a location in town that you can go to that if you choose to go and touch it and feel it and try it on, but then a couple days later you choose to buy it, that brick and mortar location has helped to make that sale. And I think too for a lot of people the, the security of knowing if I needed to, re to return it or exchange it, and, and this is something that was presented to us, that that's a big strong point now for, for the brick and mortar, is it sort of complements e-commerce. Mm -hmm. So I don't see that going away. And, and Dave mentioned something earlier about the, um, like the big tenant, you, don't, you want that big tenant to stay. What I also think is happening, you're starting to see some small tenants that are very rec recognizable in the market leaving, 
And I think the perception is, well, they just couldn't make it. And a lot of time, times I think it's a landlord who's saying, well, you know, we have an opportunity for this larger tenant to come in and take more area. And from a business standpoint, it makes sense for us to get that bigger tenant that we know is going to pay. And it has no reflection whatsoever on, on how well the other uh, retailer was doing. Interesting. Because that happened in uh, town center. They moved um, five guys from that interior site. Uh-huh. Uh, and then they moved them out to where there was a donut shop off of Corporate Boulevard. Um, now, they're about to bulldoze that where Books Millions was and five guys. And they're going to build more apartments there. That's the plan for that uh, land. And uh, um, so you're seeing some of that repositioning, but the, the tenants moving to maybe a smaller, slightly smaller spot, maybe within the development or, you know, near it where it was. And so um, that it's, it's, it's interesting. Um, and some of the dynamics, especially in Baton Rouge, we have the coming of uh, the Piku Interchange. That's okay. really, that really that's a gonna, big thing. Yeah. yeah, and there's already been some transactions. Um, the developer Brian Campbell has a site, two sites that he sold, one to John Deere and to uh, one to Penske or Rental Trucks, and they're going to um, be building. John Deere is building a retail facility um, off of uh, Piku Lane. Um, that's not even four lane yet, and then uh, Penske is going to be providing um, truck rentals from their large site that they're building so you have some really good thing some advanced things happening right now when the road's not even done and the interchange isn't even done and so that's encouraging that's mm-hmm. really a positive sign mm-hmm. and that speaks a lot about yeah national well there's investment well there's some other things uh, in it uh, let me jump a little bit too because it goes to industrial um one of the things that's happening in this market is uh the biden administration in their last um budget deal had something that incentivizes green energy and so you have um, I'm working on four of them but there's these green and blue ammonia plants that are being built in Louisiana and the incentives to build them are great and we're seeing a lot of land acquisitions Um, Air Liquid bought a huge site in Sorrento Um, BASF just announced a a joint venture Um, uh, CF Industries bought a 900 acre piece north of Donaldsonville on the West Bank um, for a big amount to build another green uh, ammonia plant. And so you have all these things that are happening in Louisiana. And then you go look over at Lake Charles and they got, uh, you know, all that LNG um, plants that, you know, they're shipping that stuff out to Europe. And and so we have a lot of good things here. And one of the other things I'm hearing about is uh, reshoring some of the industries that left uh, because of the, the, the turmoils that's happening overseas they're reshoring them here and one of the best places is louisiana because the mississippi river offers you know the ocean going ships to to be able to transport stuff produce it here ship it out and so that's one of the things that uh, um, that is really encouraging you're listening to out to lunch i'm stephanie regal i'm talking to dave lackfold of the lackfold group and andy st romain of jones walker andy You've written and blogged about, you know, sustainable development and investment in this climate in South Louisiana. Obviously, billions and billions of dollars being poured into these facilities that, uh, that Dave mentioned. What is sort of the buzz on the national scene, and what are you hearing when people call from out of state and, and look at this place? As compared to, for instance, maybe Texas, where obviously it would also be attractive to build a green or blue hydrogen or ammonia plant. Right. Um, So I think buzzwords would be 
uh, you've got, of course, solar and wind and then carbon capture. Those are the three, uh, and there may be more, but those are what come to mind right now. Uh, what I have heard, you mentioned Texas and, and a compare. A lot of what's going on, and you hear a lot of the legislation, they're trying to establish legislation, particularly for carbon capture. That Louisiana is becoming the test case for a lot of other states. That there's no better place than Louisiana to do this. We have an established oil and gas industry. We have established well locations. We have, um, you know, wells that that are can be repurposed for carbon, for carbon capture. So, a lot of uh, what you see is, or what you hear, is that there's going to be a you know, what happens in Louisiana will dictate whether it's a sustainable thing to do going forward and how realistic it is that other states can do it. So, um, you know, Louisiana, I think, has a spotlight on it for, for a lot of it. And what about the, and I know John Bell Edwards has really pushed this, what about the sequestration piece of it, the capturing and then burying that carbon under our ground? I know geologically the salt domes are thought to be a good you know, a good space for it. But when you say test case, do you mean, too, that, like, this will be litigated, that communities that are starting to push back and say, we don't want this under our ground, are the eyes of the nation going to be watching that as well? Well, I guess it's tough to tell because there are so many different interests out there um, looking at it from so many different perspectives. But for for me, for for what I do, and for a lot of what Jones-Walker does, you know, we're pro-development. We're looking to find ways to, to make things happen, to, to get the people who want to come into the state, to make it a, a viable option. And, and I think a lot of that deals with these, you know, wells that are in um, depleted <clears throat> reservoirs and using what mineral right knowledge we have and use those reservoirs and the existing wells to then repurpose them. Um, I think it's class six and seven maybe wells that we're going to use or can use to, uh, to inject the carbon. But of course, there are also those who are opposed to it, and there's maybe some areas that make better arguments than others in terms of where the locations of it should be. But I, I do think it's, it's something that you've got to look at. I mean, I think it's a way to, to help to bring in and to maintain a lot of the industry that we have here. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I, I, I don't know the, all the things going on with the ecology. And, and environmentally, I know there's a lot of different things to consider, but I think it makes a lot of sense for Louisiana to look very closely at this. Part of the problem, too, is people don't understand that, you know, you have mineral rights and there's a mineral code, but then you have surface rights. And a lot of people struggle with, well, is this the use of a surface or is it the use of the subsurface that the mineral law would apply to it? So I think it's still a, no, a novel concept that people are still trying to figure out. Um, but I think we're getting there. Oh, yeah, and it's, it's definitely going to be a hot topic. And just tell me real quick, because I want to touch on insurance, which I think is another huge issue that's <laughs> yeah. impacting all of yeah. real estate and certainly all of the commercial sectors. Do you all see an, an end to this insurance crisis where the companies that write homeowners policies and you know insure commercial buildings and shopping centers and whatnot are not doing business in this state anymore? We'll leave aside the flood flood insurance issue altogether, but does this get better? There's one property that uh, received a, a, it's a large retail, multi-tenant retail facility here in this market that received a $80,000 increase in their insurance premium. And it wasn't in the floodplain. It's well managed. It's in good condition. And that's, all yeah. that's going to be passed through the tenants, and the small tenants are going to be forced out economically because all of a sudden they're going to get this huge tax bill that they weren't expecting in 
as part of their pro, pro rata reimbursement. And so that is going to hurt business. It's going to, and, and it's just going to have a negative effect on value. And that's what it's going to do eventually. And we're starting to see it in the home, in the residential market for sure. Um, I don't know if it's trickled down yet so much to commercial, but. No, I think it has. I think uh, even if it's not written in paper yet, it is certainly on the minds of a lot of property owners. Um, and I think landlords in particular are looking to, if they have not drafted it that way, gravitate toward leases that allocate more of those variable costs to the tenant so that they can adjust. Um, you know, there, some leases just may give a fixed gross amount and now there's multiple factors and you're moving from, from uh, you know, net to triple net where you're trying to pass along as much of that cost to the tenant. And really to try to make it fair, um, you know, like they've said, the prices are really high, but when you can do this and, and, and segment it out, maybe if it's a multi-tenant building, but I, I think that's, if, if you're a landlord, there's, there are a few things you can do to protect yourself better, I think, than, than try to make it a factor that, that everyone pays a portion of whatever the amount is. And unfortunately, I, I, you know, how much longer, how long does it take to settle? I, we're probably just, you know, the next hurricane away from it becoming the, the buzzword again. Well, I, that's I don't the know problem, the every, and not just in Louisiana, but in along the Gulf Coast. Yes. Right. Well, Dave Lackbold and Andy St. Romain, I wish we had more time to talk about all of this because you are both such a wealth of knowledge about a subject that is so important to the economy, the business community, and to just about anyone who owns property or was ever interested in investing in property. So thank you both so much for sharing your expertise with us and with the Baton Rouge community. I hope we can call on you again. Thanks of course. for joining yes. me on Out to Lunch. Thank you. My guests today on Out to Lunch have been Dave Lackbold of the Lackbold Group and Andy St. Romain of Jones Walker. You can find out more about the Lackbold Group and Jones Walker and hear our unedited conversation with Dave and Andy on the Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast. You can find and subscribe to the Out to Lunch Baton Rouge podcast anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, it's batonrouge.la. Out to Lunch is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsbatonrouge.la and WRKF 89.3 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Today's show was engineered by J.T. O'Neill. Our associate producer is Peter Raschuti, and our Baton Rouge business consultants are Charlie D'Agostino and Ann Edelman. If you want to know what we all look like, you can find photos from this show on our website, it's batonrouge.la, and on our Out to Lunch Baton Rouge social media. These photos were taken by Brian Pavlich. You can find more of Brian's photos at pavlichphotography.com. I'm Stephanie Regal. Thanks for joining me. I look forward to meeting you around the table at Mansour's again next week for more business Baton Rouge style on Out to Lunch. Out to Lunch Baton Rouge is recorded live over lunch at Mansour's on the Boulevard in Baton Rouge. Mansour's is open for lunch daily 11 to 2, for dinner nightly, and for brunch on Saturdays and Sundays. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com.
and by the East Baton Rouge Parish School System, inspiring humanity through transformational learning in the classroom and community. Initiatives like Pathways to Bright Futures allow students to graduate high school with an associate degree or an industry-based credential along with their high school diploma. More information at ebrschools.org. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at mitchellforeman.com. If you'd like to be part of Out to Lunch, to learn how your business or organization can become an Out to Lunch program partner, email info at inobroadcasting.com.